I don't know if you know or if you've noticed, but sometimes God just kind of drops blessings on you. He, he kind of brings people into your lives, drops blessings on you that you weren't smart enough to ask for, you weren't looking for, but sometimes they just kind of show up. And Judd and Lori Wilhite are blessings like that in Julie's and my life. Julie and Lori actually got to know each other through a ministry that Lori began called Leading and Loving It. And Leading and Loving It is a worldwide ministry for women in leadership and in ministry that has done an incredible job of really and truly connecting women in ministry, pastors' wives, and others to help keep them in the game and to be encouraging and challenging and teaching. And they do a phenomenal thing. And it was through Leading and Loving It that Julie met Lori. And it was because of their friendship that Judd and I actually connected just a few short years ago. And Judd and I, man, we just, it just clicked right off the bat. We just kind of were like, the only thing that's wrong with our friendship is that we haven't known each other for 30 years. And uh, he is just an incredible leader. He and his wife lead the phenomenal Central Church there in Las Vegas, Nevada, if you can believe that. I love telling people that one of the best, healthiest churches anywhere in the world that I know of is in Vegas. They're going kind of like, what? But it is such a strong and healthy church that when we began kind of thinking about and praying about for our son Joe, where he might go and learn and intern and kind of cut his teeth in ministry, that is where we sent him. That is where they have taken him in. And Joseph is actually there now, interning at their church and just absolutely, in a, in a very biblical, God-honoring way, living the dream in Vegas. And uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time as a, as a mom and a dad. Julie and I are so grateful to them for the way that they've welcomed him into their family. And uh, they are just two of the biggest blessings we have in our lives. He's been here before. So I want to ask you, here, here's the deal. I, I want you to keep this in mind. Judd's church is a phenomenal, phenomenal church, one of the healthiest, strongest churches I know of anywhere on the planet. They have multiple locations there in Vegas. They have a place, they have a satellite in Australia. Their church, they have a location that meets in the Florabama Bar in Perdido Key, Florida, that, that, you talk about reaching the lost and the unchurched. It's a phenomenal thing, but that's just the heartbeat of Judd and Lori and their church. And they're used to, Judd is used to like a lot of feedback. So like when he starts shucking the corn this morning, I want you to let him know it. You know what I'm saying? But first off, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, y'all are like, mm, that's not what I mean. I mean, let it fly, all right? But uh, first off, I want to ask you if you will please stand to your feet and give a crazy Lake Hills Church welcome to our friend, Pastor Judd Wilhite. All right. Wow. Uh, thank you guys so much. That's a Texas welcome right there. To Texas, welcome. What an honor to be here. Love this church. Love you guys. I, uh, you know, I love your pastor, Mac. He's uh, such a dear friend. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. I want to start with that. Because when you come out and you're from Las Vegas and you have a leather jacket on, it could go a lot of different directions. So I was born and raised in Texas. I'm a Texas boy, okay? I'm all right. But I do live in a crazy place. Um, my, uh, my pastor was a guy named Roy Wheeler in Amarillo, Texas, and everybody needs a pastor. Even pastors need pastors. And he died a few years ago, and uh, once he passed away, 
I, you know, I didn't really have somebody to fill that role, but it, it kind of, for me, became a, a couple different pastors that were really close friends of mine that sort of filled that role that he used to have in my life. And uh, Pastor Mac is one of those people for me in my life. He's a leader's leader, tremendous integrity. He's who I call when I need wisdom, insight. He's humble. He's gracious. He's smart. He's been around. And I'm very, very grateful for him and his leadership in our life. And then I want you to know that Julie, his wife, uh, is like a celebrity in Las Vegas. So she walks around our church campus, and all the young moms listen to Fearless Mom and watch it. And, like, you know, it's kind of like there's the Bible and there's Julie on parenting among the young moms in our church. And it just spread because it's such good material, right? And, they, and so, like, people are line, lining up. In, in our church in Vegas, they line up and take selfies with Julie when she walks down the hall. It's the coolest thing. I just want you to know that, you know, around here, you just, she's Julie, and you love her, and you see her. But, you know, when she goes to Vegas, she can have a whole posse. Right, and it would look. She doesn't, but she could, and it would look. And she'd fit right in because all the all the ladies are uh, just uh, so blown away by her teaching. And then Emily, we love and just adore her. She's doing an amazing job serving you here at Lake Hills Church. And Joe. Uh, works with us out in Las Vegas. He's making such an impression as an intern that um, literally in the first day, he like knew everybody's name on staff, had every, like he like had everybody kind of figured out place, which there are people who've been on our staff for a year who can't do that. He like had everybody figured out all their names, everything, and they'd already earned a nickname. I'm like, some people come here and they never earn a nickname in years. He earned a nickname within 12 hours. Everybody was calling him Big Tex. That's Big Tex right there. But he's doing a great job. We're just so proud of him. And so uh, we love you, love this church, love the Richards. I'm honored to be here with you. Um, I want to talk to you today about what it looks like in our lives to be blessed by God. And uh, I don't know where you're at in life, but wherever you're at, even if you're super blessed, most of us wouldn't mind being even more blessed. I'll take it. And so I believe there's some things that we can do biblically to position ourselves in such a way that we receive even more of God's blessing in our life. Now, when we use that word bless, it gets thrown around in our culture in a lot of different ways. Um, we say uh, before a prayer or before a meal, people will say, hey, will you, will you pray before the meal? Will you bless the meal, right? Or um, there's, uh, you know, the, the, the whole when people sneeze, we say bless you, right? You know, bless you. Which, by the way, when my wife and I first started, we were early in our relationship, she sneezed. And she's not like a single sneezer. It's like five or eight sneezes, you know, machine gun sneezing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like she can't, it's never just one, you know? And so you got to wait and wait and wait to get to the last one. And she did all this sneezing. And then she looked at me and I could tell the frustration was building. The anger was starting to build, you know, like the little vein in her neck was, you know, like it wasn't good. And I didn't understand why. And she said, aren't you going to say, bless you? And I, I thought, no, wasn't going to say bless you. Because in my family, we didn't say bless you when you sneeze. We got the Lysol and sprayed it around and got out of the room, man. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to bless you. I'm just trying to disinfect you. You know, that was it, right? But she's like, aren't you? She says, listen, when you say bless you, that's communicating that you care. It's communicating that you're attentive. It's communicating you're aware other people are around you and you're in tune with them in their life, that you're compassionate, that you're kind, I'm like, you get all that from bless you? She's like, it's very important to me. And so I learned early on, right, in marriage, the old cliche is true. You can either be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. 
you got to choose, right? And so I chose, I've chose to be happy, so now I say bless you all the time, and usually multiple times, because she's sneezing so many times, I'm trying to get to the, Lori's like a drive-by blesser, too, like wherever she's at, she blesses everybody. You're in a restaurant, somebody sneezes across the way, it's like, bless you! <laughs> she's just there communicating it, so that's, we throw that word around a lot, bless you. Um, we also, you know, I grew up in Amarillo, we say bless your heart a lot. Yeah, my mom would say that all the time, oh, bless your heart, which we all know has a, it has a layered meaning. It just depends on the context in the moment, right? On the one side, bless your heart is a, is a genuine statement of compassion and care and empathy, you know, oh, bless your heart, right? It, it can be received that way. Or, you know, it can also sort of slant to like, you're the stupid one, aren't you? You know, oh, bless his heart. He's just not very smart, you know? just depends on kind of how you take it in the moment. Like you could say right now, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, bless their heart. And then depending on where you're at, you got to figure out exactly how, I mean, that could be compassion or it could be you're just the stupid one, aren't you? Anyway, we throw it around in a lot of different ways. Um, I didn't say anything about UT, but I'm just staying on the Cowboys, all right? Like we're going to, because I'm a Cowboys fan, I could do that. Uh, we throw the word blessed around. We use it on social media. People hashtag blessed. You've seen this, you know, like, like it could be different things. I got a promotion at work, hashtag blessed. Check out my new car, hashtag blessed. I even saw one guy said, you know, I dropped a bacon off my plate at breakfast and caught it before it hit the ground, hashtag blessed, right? Another guy says, I went to Chick-fil-A. I ordered the eight-piece chicken nugget. I opened it, and there were 12 nuggets. This is my testimony, <laughs> hashtag blessed. You know, we throw it around a lot of different ways. What does it mean to be blessed by God and to live in his blessing? Well, I, I think a simple way to look at the word blessed is, is this. To be blessed is to simply have God's divine favor on your life. To be blessed is to have God's divine favor on your life. And it can show up in a lot of different ways. But if you have his divine favor in your life and on your life, you are blessed. In fact, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you're already blessed. I mean, you're blessed with forgiveness of sins when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're blessed with his spirit, which dwells within you. You're blessed with friends and family. You're blessed to be part of an amazing church. You're blessed to be alive this morning in Austin, Texas. You're blessed to walk in. You're blessed. I mean, many of you have jackets on. You're blessed to have a jacket. God's provided for you. Somehow you got here. More than likely, you drove Many of you drove your own car. You're, you have a lot of blessings. You have the hope of heaven instilled in your heart. God has already given. In fact, just turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm blessed. We're blessed. But even having said all that, how many of you wouldn't mind being even more blessed? I'm just, you know, like, I'm blessed. But I wouldn't mind being even more blessed. Like, I'm down with that. There's some things that we can do to position ourselves to be even more blessed by God and experience more of his favor working in our lives. And I wanna to talk to you about three simple ways we can do that. And I wanna do it by looking at an encounter Jesus had with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And so we'll pick it up in John chapter three. Jesus meets this religious leader who comes to him, Nicodemus, beginning of verse one, here's what we read. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, you know, he, he was a, probably, commentators suggest, the most influential person 
that Jesus had spoken to in his earthly life up to this point. Um, Nicodemus would be like a Harvard professor and a senator and a pastor all rolled into one. He already had all the accomplishment, money, wealth, achievement. He was esteemed. So he doesn't come to Jesus during the day. A lot of theories on that. You know, one is that he's just trying to, that it might be too much of a risk. Jesus was already making enemies. People are already like talking about Jesus. And he, or, you know, it could have been that everywhere Nicodemus went, just in general, people talked and he, this was a personal thing he was exploring. He didn't want people talking about it, right? He could have just wanted his privacy. But he goes to Jesus at night. And, um, and I think that's interesting. Here is a guy that would be considered, you know, the teacher of Israel, a rabbi, a religious teacher. In other words, a guy with all the degrees and all the accolades. And he was still hungry spiritually. He was still seeking. And he hears Jesus. He sees Jesus. He goes to him at night and seeks him out, seeks his insight. And as I'm reading this, it just strikes me. He was still hungry spiritually, even though he had had all these years and all these accomplishments and if you want to position yourself, if I want to position myself to be even more blessed by God, that's my first thought. Stay hungry. Stay hungry spiritually. Just stay hungry for God to move and work in your heart and in your life. Now, my son is 16 years old, and he's already, he's taller than me at 14. He's huge. He's like a gentle giant. And uh, he, he says to me, Dad, I've only been full five times in my life. I, he can remember the times, five you know, other than that, he's been starving his whole life. And this kid eats so much food. It's unbelievable. But um, I remember one day he came in and he said, he, he loves tortellini. He says, I, you know, Dad, will you make tortellini? And I already made tortellini earlier in the week. Mom was out of town. And I'm like, you know, I, you know, come on, man. Just go get something. You can put a pizza in the oven or whatever. Because it's not like tortellini from scratch, you know. It's not like it's a lot. You just have to heat the water up and put it in. But come on, people. I'd already done that three nights in a row. I'm like, just go put something in the oven. You can take care of I don't want to do the tortellini, you know. Like, it's like, come on, Dad, tortellini. No, no, I'm busy, right? So a few minutes later, he comes back and he's like, like, tortellini, Dad, come on, tortellini. I'm like, dude, get go. I'm not making you tortellini, you know. Comes back in, tortellini. He starts making little songs, tortellini, tortellini. I'm like, stop, leave. My phone rings a few minutes later. I look down, and I'm like, what? He's just in the other room, right? I answer the phone. It's my son, tortellini, tortellini. Then he comes crawling on his hands and knees, this big six-foot-four giant of a kid man with a neck beard, tortellini, tortellini. And finally, I'm like, all right, if I make you tortellini, will you never ask me for tortellini again in your life? He just wore me down out of his hunger to make him tortellini. And I think spiritually, look, sometimes God satisfies us, and we are full, and we have all that we need. But even when you're full, you got to stay hungry spiritually. you got to stay open to what God may want. you got to continue to seek him in your life. In fact, listen to what Jesus uh, challenged us with in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. So good. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open uh, to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So he says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In other words, it's kind of like Jesus is giving us license to nag God a little bit. Tortellini. <laughs> to take whatever it is that is on your heart that God has put in your life 
and to keep bringing it to God and keep praying and keep asking him. And God doesn't mean God's going to respond just because you're persistent, but persistence plays a part in the whole aspect of remaining spiritually hungry. I mean, have you ever thought of this? Sometimes God blesses you with more, right? But the most dangerous thing that God can often do in our lives is bless us with more because the blessing of more comes with this inherent threat, right? Today's success can be the greatest threat to tomorrow's success, okay? So today's blessing can be the greatest threat to staying spiritually hungry for tomorrow's blessing. We get content, satisfied, full in the moment, and we can start to drift. So yes, God can bless us with more. I hope he blesses you with more, but sometimes he will bless you with less so that you will learn to trust him more for a season. Sometimes he will bless you with less so that you will learn to trust him more. And I fully believe that God will test us often before he blesses us. And so some of you are in a testing season. It's hard right now. It's frustrating. Look, leverage that moment to stay spiritually hungry, to learn more about who God is and what he's teaching you in your life, to ask God to show you and instruct you and grow you spiritually, right? Because you may not be ready to handle the blessing yet. God's testing you where he's preparing to bless you. He's making sure you're ready to be able to stand in the blessing he can bring into your life. You may have less now, but until you have less and learn to trust him more, you may not be ready for the more you're praying for. So there's a powerful principle here that we can keep coming to God and keep asking and keep praying and stay spiritually hungry. Some of you, you've been praying for kids and family members, and I just want to encourage you, keep praying for them. Keep believing God can move in their life. Some of you have been praying for healing, and it hasn't happened yet. Just because it hasn't happened now doesn't mean it won't happen ever. Keep praying that God will move and work in your life. Keep praying for healing. Keep praying for those loved ones and those friends. Listen, just because God hasn't done done it. That doesn't mean he's deaf to you or he's blind to your need or he's not aware of what's going on in your life. Believe that he's there. He's moving. He's working. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep trusting. Stay spiritually hungry. You know, I always check in on my favorite running backs and receivers in the off season because I want to know, like, what, what are they doing in the off season? So I'll Google them, you know, my favorite teams. And I'll figure out what they're doing. Because here's the thing. I know if they're working hard in the off season and if they're hungry in the off season, they're going to kill it in the season, right? Because how you prepare and how you live in the comfortable times sets you up for how you're going to respond in the difficult times. So if you're blessed right now, give thanks to God, but stay spiritually hungry. Don't let that blessing become an excuse to no longer grow spiritually. In fact, we come to church when things are bad. We come to church when things are hard, things are tough, right? We you know, cry out to God, come, and that's awesome. That's great. But we should also be coming to church, especially when things are good. We should be coming to church when things, when God's, you know, moving and blessing us in our life precisely because he is. So how do you position yourself to stay blessed? Stay hungry. Second thought is this, stay humble. Stay humble. If you want to position yourself to live in even more of God's divine favor, stay humble. Humble. I used to work out at this YMCA. It was this old, beat-up, nasty place, fluorescent lights and, you know, beat-up weights. It wasn't fancy at all. And there was a guy there that worked out at the same time I did. Uh, we'd work out kind of, it's, the weight room was sort of in this basement area. And he, he was huge, you know, just massive guy. And we were always the only two in the basement area. And I remember one, one time, I mean, he, he always looked mad, you know, and kind of mean. And I was sort of scared of him. 
Um, so I just kind of stay with my little weights, you know, over in the corner and mind my own business. One day he points at me and he goes, spot me on the bench press. And I remember like going, there's nobody else here, right? I mean, it's just me. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, yes, sir. I'll spot you on the bench press, you know. So he loads the bar up with all this weight, tremendous water weight. Now, when you spot somebody on, the, on a bench press, they're laying on a bench on their back, right? And they, they've got a bar, a barbell, and they've got weights, you know, on both sides. And they're going to bring that down and touch their chest and, and push up the bench press, right? And you're supposed to be standing, like, behind them. This would be his head, and there's his body. And I'm supposed to, like, help that bar if he can't get it up. I'm supposed to help pull it up and get it on, racked so that it doesn't kill him. And he's got enough weight to kill somebody on this bar. It's crazy, right? And I remember when he lifted the bar up, it kind of went, and I was like, whoa. And so he was, he was trying to max out. So he did a rep. And then he thought, he got greedy, and he tried to do two reps. And he got about halfway up on the second rep, and it just stopped. And he sat there for a couple seconds, and then he goes, a little help here. And I, I knew at that point, like, I'm in the game. Put me in, coach. I'm in the game. And I knew how you're supposed to spot in general, you know, keep your back straight, bend your knees, right? Grab the bar, one, one hand under, one hand over, right? Grab that bar put, put, and pull that. And I'm telling you, I pulled with everything I had and I pulled that bar and nothing, it didn't move. It didn't move at all. And so I pulled it again and it didn't move. And I, I did it again, nothing. And I looked down at him and he goes, little help. He's got veins bulging out of his neck, you know, and he's like shaking. And I'm like, and I'm just, rah, you know, I start making noise so he knows I'm really trying here. And I remember just looking at him and going, that's all I got. <laughs> like I can go try to get somebody upstairs at the front desk. I don't know what to do right now. You know, it's just you and me. That's all I got. And he did this move. He was... I found out later he was actually a professional bodybuilder for a while, competed and all that, was trying to get back into, like, top shape. But um, he did this move where he dropped his right arm and left it, kept his left arm enough where, you know, the, the, the bar hit the bench on the right side and all the weights eventually slid off that way. And then he told me later this is when a lot of people break their ribs and stuff because you can't get out of the way fast enough because the bar comes like a bullet going flying the other way. And... Uh, you know, you let the bar hit the, the side on that end, all the weight falls off. And this is all like in a moment. It's like, bam, bam. And he stands up, and I'm just standing there, and he throws this 45-pound barbell across the gym. And then he turns around and looks at me, and I'm thinking, man, I am dead. He's going to, it happened in a YMCA down in the basement. <laughs> Sounds like a bad movie, right? Horror movie. He walked over to me, and he goes, we're going work, to start working out together. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, I'm going to show you how to, how to spot somebody, first of all. And then, so we did. We started working out together. He said, meet me here at noon. And I just was like, okay. He still looked mad. I'm like, just don't hit me. So I came back the next day at noon. We actually became great friends. He, he, he was a, a, a great guy. And he started working out not only with me, but kind of training me. And he found out I was a pastor, and he loved that because he wasn't, he wasn't a, a believer in Jesus yet. But um, I say yet, which is what I say about everybody, yet. Uh, but he, um, he'd, I'd be like um, doing dips, and I'd be in a moment, and I'd go down, and he'd, he'd lean in. And when I'm like at the end of myself and I'm totally exhausted, he'd say, give me three more if you really love Jesus. <laughs> Do it for Jesus. You know, or I'd be, I'd be doing reps, and he'd, he'd go, seven more. I'm like, what? 
He says, seven's the perfect number in the Bible. I'm like, you don't know anything. Would you re go research that at home last night? Like, don't act like you know anything about the Bible, you know. But I was so uh, broken down in that workout experience, especially in the early weeks, that I couldn't even, have you ever, have you ever worked out so hard that when you go to your car, you can't get the key in the ignition. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like flinging my arm. You're just trying to like get it up there, try to get it close to the ignition or to the door. And then when you get in, you're trying to get it up in the ignition. And it's, it's bad, right? And, and I, I remember being at home at night and it's like time to go to bed. And I'm thinking like, I'll just sleep in my shirt. It's fine. And I said to my wife, Lori, I said, honey, could you brush my teeth? Because I really can't lift my toothbrush right now. It was humbling. Sometimes God will break us down to build us back up. Sometimes God will allow us to be placed in a humbling situation so that we will remember who he is and what he has done in our life. And when God does that, as hard as it is, it's actually a gift. It's actually a blessing. He's blessing us. Humility is a powerful thing in our lives, and it's one of the ways we experience gratitude and we remember all that God has done. And Nicodemus is about to get humbled in this moment. So he comes to Jesus at night. Most commentators suggest that he, he says, hey, you're a great teacher, so he's complimenting him. You're not, you know, and the fact that he even visited with all of his esteem and accomplishments, a huge deal, right? So he's, he's, he's trying to kind of basically say, hey, Jesus, you know, you're, you're a good guy, I acknowledge you. Uh, and most commentators suggest he's, he's sort of trying to, to do this with Jesus. Let me help you, and you can help me. Now, let's do some things for each other. You can teach me some things, but I can help you learn some things. And Jesus just, this is kind of in the text. Jesus just shuts him down. Look at what he says. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. It's sort of like, you do this for me, I'll do that for you. You're a great teacher. You know, you're, Jesus says, boom, John 3, 3. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is the religious, the teacher of Israel. And that phrase, born again, this is where we get it from a biblical standpoint, but it had been used culturally before uh, in the Jewish culture. It could be translated born from above. Uh, but, you know, this whole idea that Nicodemus, the teacher, would need to be born again was ludicrous, right? But Jesus just basically did this. He goes, Nick, sit down, shut up, be humble. You're, you're, you're about to hear something <laughs> that's going to stretch you. You've got to be born again. And I think it was a moment for Nicodemus. And at first, you know, he tries to come back at him like, what do you mean? Look at what he says, John 3, 4. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Jesus basically uses the image of a child being born to represent spiritual birth. And think about, those of you that have kids, think about when your children were born. You know, when our, our son was born, our second child, um, I had this moment, I was standing there, and Lori's about to give birth, and the doctor looks over at me, and he says, hey, would you like to deliver the baby? And I remember in that moment, I looked at him, and I, I, I said, no. I'm like, you stay in your lane, right? I'll stay in my lane over here. I'll pray for you, right? You're the doctor, 
But then I looked down at my wife, I looked at her eyes, and I knew, like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. So I got all kind of suited up, and I really wasn't ready for how amazing and miraculous, you know, that whole experience was. So the doctor had his hands under my hands, but I basically, I, I, I remind my son on the regular when he's being ornery that I delivered him. His mom may have brought him into the world, but I delivered him, and we can both take him out of the world, so you better be doing what, you know. So I'm standing there, and, and you know, all of a sudden this child comes in, and you, you hold that child. You hold, some of you, many of you have had kids, you hold that baby. Like, what does that baby really bring to the process in that moment? <laughs> I mean, they're just helpless, they can't do anything. You know, you, they, everything has to be done for them because of their helplessness. So isn't it interesting that that's the image Jesus chooses to talk about our own spiritual rebirth? It's a picture of what we would call the grace of God, that we can't earn it and we don't deserve it, but through what Jesus did for us, we place our faith and trust in him and we freely receive the gift of grace from God. We can, All of our degrees, Nicodemus, all your degrees, all your accomplishments, all the things you'd hang on the wall, all great, but none of it's gonna get you right with God. You can't be born again with that. Being born again is about coming as a helpless, humble individual and acknowledging you can't do it on your own and you need God in your life. Listen, we bring the sin, God brings the salvation. We bring our shame, God brings redemption into our life. We bring our pain, God gives us purpose, right? We bring our hopelessness and God fills us with his hope. We bring our darkness and God gives us light. Salvation is a gift from God and every day after is a gift from God. It's all grace, right? We receive it like helpless children. We receive it and celebrate it and don't forget it because there's nothing more dangerous than a believer who's forgotten all God has done in their life and become arrogant and judgmental towards everybody around them, right? We all know that person who forgot. And what did they forget? They forgot that it wasn't that long ago when you were just like them whoever it is you're judging, or you were just as messed up, whoever you're looking down at, right? And so we've got to stay humble before God and acknowledge what he's doing in our life. And I think Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this is not about what you can do for me, Nicodemus. This is about what I and only I can do for you. You must be born of water and of spirit. Most commentators believe that water is somehow connected to baptism and spirit is God's spirit moving and working in our life. And it was a humbling moment for Nicodemus to be humbled. This is also in the conversation where Jesus goes on in John 3, 16 and says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So you have to be born again, and here's how you're born again. God loves the world so much, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so powerful moment for Nicodemus to be humbled. And I think about us in our lives. If you wanna be blessed and stay blessed, Stay hungry, but stay humble. Remember all that God has done and stay grateful for all that he's done in your heart and in your life. Listen, God has blessed us 
all individually in so many ways. But the temptation is we start looking around at how God is blessing other people and start comparing our situation to other people. You open up social media, you look at other people, their vacations, what they drive, how their kids look perfect and all those uh, pictures, all the filters that we use on photos and all of that, right? Like it's the perfect fake life, you know, like, I mean, social media is a billboard. It's not a diary, right? But we try to read it like, oh, this is really what their lives are like. Wow. And we start comparing and going down that road, and we start judging other people. Must be nice to be them. Must be nice. I bet they borrowed all that money. I bet they're over their head in debt, right? Instead of just celebrating what God is doing in that person's life and being focused on our own life and our own relationship with God and saying, God, you've blessed me with whatever you've blessed me with, and I'm thankful and I'm looking to you. And when people around me get blessed, I'm going to celebrate with them rather, rather than criticize them. I'm going to put my hands together for them. Even if I don't understand why you haven't done that yet for me, I'm going to believe the best for them in their life, right? And I'm going to believe that one day, just how you, the way you bless them, you're going to bless me in my life as well. I'm going to believe you're not finished yet blessing me in my life. Stay humble and stay grateful. And so, man, when people are blessed around you, I want to encourage you, celebrate with them. Don't judge them, right? Don't kind of put them through the sniff test. Just give thanks to God for what he's done in their life. And remember, just because God did a miracle in their life, that doesn't mean God's not going to do a miracle in your life. It's not like, it's not like God's up there with a limited amount. I've only got a little, and I gave your neighbor a new TV. So, bro, there's not a lot left for you. You ever see that TV box out on the corner, you know, with the trash, and you're like, oh, yeah, must, that's a, look at that. That's 4K. Look at that box. That must be nice. You look at the size of that. I'm watching this piece of junk thing right here like, wow. But it's not like God's only got one 4K TV. If that's your thing, he can give you 100,000 4K TVs, right? Like it doesn't even matter. He's got everything. There's not a limit on what God has and doesn't have. So I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to trust that God is blessing me in accordance with my ability to walk and manage the blessing. So have you ever thought of this? Every blessing comes with a burden. Right, so you're blessed with kids, it's amazing, but then you gotta raise the kids, <laughs> not so amazing. You're blessed with, right, uh, you're blessed with marriage, it's amazing, but then, you know, you gotta manage that marriage. Not always so amazing, right, a challenge. You know, every blessing comes with a burden. You're blessed with a great job or successful career at work, but man, let's be honest, they don't just give money away. You got a great high-paying job, that comes with a lot of stress and pressure and expectations, you know, and so the blessing comes with the burden, right? Um, and on and on we could go. Every material thing you and I have, as good as it may be, the, the, the material thing has to be managed, right? You get a boat, awesome. But a boat, oh man. You just ask for work. That's what you do. It's just work, right? Like all of it, every blessing comes with a burden. And typically we tend to look at other people's blessings and we see the blessing, but we forget the burden, we see other people's success. We see the blessing. We forget the burden. But every blessing comes with a burden. And then sometimes in our own lives, we only see the burden that we're facing, and we don't even see the blessing anymore, right? You walk past your kid's room, and it looks like a nuclear bomb went off. But the blessing is you have kids, and they're still under your roof. Someday you're going to walk past that room, and it's going to be empty. And you're going to realize those were the years 
of blessing. But all you see right now is the burden, right? You know, you feel the pressure at work. And uh, I mean, I remember I was a senior pastor at a pretty young age, and I'm looking around at all my friends, and they're running around doing all this stuff, and a lot of them making a lot more money and doing this. And I'm looking around like, woe is me. I got all this responsibility like I'm 50. I'm too young to be doing this. But you know what? It was a blessing to be doing what I got to do. And I'm so thankful, and I know some of you are thankful, but you can also, you can lose perspective because you see the burden as well. Some of you are in a place right now where there are other people who are praying for a blessing in their life that you only perceive in your own life as a burden. Right? Some of you are in a place right now where your kids are driving you ever-loving crazy. But there are other people who pray every day that God would just give them kids. Some of you are in a place where work is absolutely just burying you. But there are a lot of people just praying to have a job. And some of you are in a place where, you know, you, you, you can't even remember the last time that you, you had any part of the bathroom sink because your wife took it all over with makeup and curling irons and hot things that will burn you. You thought when you got married, you, you were gonna you were gonna split the house, right? Like like this is what I thought too. Like we're gonna we're gonna share things, and so we're gonna have a closet. This is gonna be my side, and this is gonna be your side, right? We're gonna we're gonna have a bathroom sink, and this is gonna be my side of the sink. This is gonna be your side. These are gonna be my drawers, and there's gonna be yours drawers. Oh, I was young and naive. Right? I, I didn't realize once I got married that the closet would grow and then it would grow and then it would grow into my side and then it would go. And then I realized one day, like, it's not even our closet, it's her closet. And I'm just, I'm thankful she lets me have a space in there. I'm grateful. I'm blessed, right? Then I realized that that, that bathroom counter, that's not even, I mean, it's her counter and it's her drawers, but I'm thankful I can get my toothbrush in there. I'm, I'm grateful. But there are people right now praying that God would bring a spouse into their life. There are people right now praying that God would bring somebody into their life they could do the run with. And you know what? Right now they're not so concerned about who has the closet space. Don't let the blessing God has given you become such a burden that you lose perspective on what the blessing really is. Humility says, God, I'm looking to you. I'm not comparing. Here's what I'd say. The more I compare, the more I despair. Right? But the more I just give thanks and celebrate and look to God, the more I not only realize how blessed I am, the more I position myself to be even more blessed. Stay hungry, stay humble, and then stay faithful. We don't really know all the story with Nicodemus. He disappears from the life of Jesus after this encounter. He shows up one time in a religious meeting, and he's actually defending Jesus among the Jewish religious leaders. Um, so we know it made a huge impression, but I think we get a bigger picture of what happened in Nicodemus's life at the end of Jesus' life. Um, at the end of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, there's this little phrase that just says, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus took Jesus' body down off the cross and placed it in a tomb. And if you ask me, that says enough. That this man that came to Jesus at night, hungry spiritually, that basically got reminded by Jesus to be humble <laughs> spiritually, had come to a place to experience the risen Christ in his own life. And I think he was challenged to stay faithful. 
and he took Christ and he placed him in the tomb. If you want to position yourself for greater blessings, stay hungry, stay humble, stay faithful. Stay hungry, stay humble, stay faithful. We're already blessed, but I wouldn't mind bringing even more. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, here's what it says. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Some of you, you're tired right now. You're worn out, but hang in there. Don't you quit. Don't give up. Don't give up because somebody criticized you. Don't give up because somebody looked down on you. Don't give up because things are hard. Don't give up because things aren't going your way. Don't give up because it feels like you're losing everywhere you turn around right now. Don't give up because of what's happening politically in the country. Don't give up because of the news. Don't even watch the news. Look, look, you go down these roads, you're going to get frustrated and discouraged. That's life, right? But don't you give up. Why? Because look at this. At just the right time. When? The right time. When's the right time? Well, that's God's time. That's not my time or your time. That's when God decides. At just the right time, what? We will reap, what? A harvest of blessing. What is a harvest of blessing? Most of us are like, I don't know, but I want it. It's cool. It sounds like a lot, right? It's like back the truck up. That's what we say, back that truck up. Harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We don't give up. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. My friend Craig Groeschel posted something on Instagram a while back. I thought it was so good. He says, time is short. My king is coming soon. Because eternity matters, I will give him my all. My faith moves mountains. My prayers calm storms. My words give life. My hands bring healing. My feet deliver the good news that Christ is risen and he's coming again. God's word is a lamp directing my steps. His spirit is my power. When I'm weak, he makes me strong. Because Christ is coming, I will not back down, sell out, or be pushed around. My life is too valuable. My calling too great. My God too good to waste my life on things that don't last. I am empowered by God's spirit. I'm trained by his word. I'm tried by fire. My name's written in his book. My life belongs to him. And because my life is not my own and earth is not my home, I will live for the glory of God and not the applause of people. I am strong in the Lord and in his mighty power to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Because Christ lives in me. Listen, trials cannot stop me. People cannot break me. Money cannot buy me. Haters cannot silence me and demons cannot defeat me. Put your hands together for that. He says, I'll leave no words unsaid, no deeds undone, because time is short and my king is coming soon. I believe the king is coming soon. And our job, stay faithful, stay hungry, stay, stay humble, and we'll position ourselves to be even more blessed. Some of you are in a place in your life where God's been working He's been tapping you on the shoulder, calling you to come home to him, and you're finally ready to cross that line of faith. And I would just love to be uh, privileged to lead you in a prayer to open your heart to God and ask him to move and work in your life. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're ready to reach out to God, you can simply pray this prayer uh, after me in your heart or mind, or you could put it in your own words, but just open your heart to God and just say, God, I believe in you. I thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. I want to just ask you to remain with your head bowed, eyes closed for a moment, because 
it's a sacred moment. When God calls somebody into that life, that eternal life, that being born from above life, it's sacred, it's set apart. And so if that was your prayer, and this is the biggest moment of your life, and as a church, it's our privilege to come alongside and to help with what's next, because this is just the beginning. So if that was your prayer in this place, I want to invite you, if you would, allow us to help with what's next. And I want to ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, if you would just right now quietly just take out your program that you got when you came in and begin filling out that connect card that's right inside your name and contact info. And then right below that is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And as you complete that card, you can tear it off along the perforation. And before you leave, when we dismiss in just a couple of minutes, if you would just hand that connect card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, that card starts a conversation. It's a conversation where, as a church, we can help with what's next. Second thing it, I want to ask you as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer today and you meant it for the first time in your life, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand in the air as a physical statement of that spiritual commitment. And know that you're surrounded by people who love you, who want to help. And our Kind of our family tradition around here is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home and welcome to the family.